0: All right, well, welcome to Sedaris. Uh, If you can't tell, have you figured it out yet? Have you figured out what's going on? But I'm being profoundly countercultural, am I not? Yeah, thank you for noticing. Started on time, started on time. No, No shoelaces, that's true. North face and not Patagonia. So countercultural, and we are. Choo- I'm choosing to be at church and not watch the Seahawks game for the first half. <laughs> Excited that you're here. I don't know if anybody else is is like me, but I get anxious about a lot of things. I get anxious about a lot of things. Um, I get anxious about what this day. Or the next day will hold. I get anxious about if I'm doing in my life what God wants me to be doing. I get anxious about whether I'm, not anymore, but (laughs) dating the right person or married to the right person. I mean, am I with the right person? Am I working the right job? Am I living in the right house, the right apartment, in the right city? Am I studying the right thing? Am I going... To the right college, university, master's program. I get anxious about how long this particular holding pattern will last. When will I get to the next stage of life? I get anxious about knowing whether or not the God I know will come to know and be known by those I love. That makes me anxious. And it makes me anxious when I read Ephesians 1, and it says that before the foundations of the earth, God chose us. What does that mean? How does that work? It makes me anxious. And so if you've got a Bible, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, And I promised two weeks ago that I would come back in two weeks, and we would study this idea once more. And to be honest, many parts of me wanted to just hope nobody (laughs) that was here today was here then, or listened to it on uh, the podcast, but I believe that there's so much that we must um, wrestle with in this. And if we can't do that, uh, what are we as a considering community if we cannot do that? So we're going to read together Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 12. It's also written in your bulletin if you don't have a Bible or you don't want to pull it up on your phone. So I'm just going to read this, actually starting, yeah, I'll start in verse 1 uh, to kind of give us some context of where we're at. It says this, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Would you pray with me? Father God, this is your word to us, communication from on high, given to us that we might understand something. Help us to know what that something is. Help us to wrestle with this mystery, this divine truth that you've given to us. We thank you that you've revealed this. Now help us to see why that is and how that changes how we live here and now. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me recap two weeks ago because we were also in this text and we've come back to it. And so if you weren't here or if you were, I want to refresh our minds because if we don't understand ultimately what we talked about two weeks ago, we will not understand what we'll talk about today. So two weeks ago we said uh, God's ultimate desire is to bring free, willful, personal, loving beings Who are less than God, but to a certain extent, like God himself, in many ways, he wants to bring those kind of beings somewhere. And let me just explain, because this is so important, what these kind of beings are. It will be imperative to our exploration today. These kind of beings are, like I said, in some ways, to some extent, actually like God. Of course, not fully like God. So, for the artist in the room, this is like a painting is to the real object being painted. To the sports fan in the room. (laughs) There's probably not many of them, but to the sports fan in the room. This is like uh, Russell Wilson of Madden, the video game, is to the real NFL quarterback, Russell Wilson. To the uh, animal lovers in the room. This is like or akin to what Sidney Fife calls Bowsers. Okay? That is, you know what a Bowser is? A Bowser is a dog that looks exactly and acts like its owner. Have you ever seen these kind of dogs? Scientific fact. People tend to want their dogs to look like them. Okay. (laughs) In some ways, and to a certain extent, the thing is like that which it represents. But it is not like that in full. If you're searching for the reference there, it's from a movie called I love you, man. Okay. So God's desire is to create beings that bear His image, that are like Him in some way, with freedom in some sense, willful, personal, loving beings. And He wants those image bearers of every race, of every ethnicity, of every language, of every socioeconomic class, the educated, the uneducated, the sophisticated, the simple, simple whatever they might, category they might fall in. He wants every human being created in his image to come before him and worship him. This is what he's created us to do. And so we see this in verse 4. It says what? That we should be holy and blameless before Him, which is to say, we were created to meet our Maker, as the great Mumford and Sons song says, and to be okay with that encounter. We will all meet our Maker. There's there's nothing more profound. On my 30th birthday, I I was at Red Rocks Amphitheater, Mumford & Sons concert, back when they were still popular. Don't know what happened. Seems like nobody listens to them anymore. I still think they're profound. And 15,000 people are singing, you were made to meet your maker. And they have no idea what they're singing. We were made to meet our maker, to stand in his presence, and not to shudder... For judgment, but to praise his glorious grace. You guys all know the hashtag TTPOGG. <laughs> to the praise of his glorious grace. Everybody's hashtagging that. Just look it up. Okay. That's verse 6 right here. It says, To the praise of his glorious grace. TTPO, I guess, HGG. Okay. But you can hashtag both. I've, I've cornered that market. Okay. So, (laughs) that's what we were created for. That's why he's created these beings. And that is what it means to be in real relationship to God. Okay? And when we understand, ultimately, what Christ has done, because it says we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that God chose, talked about this two weeks ago, to send Jesus, God the Son, into the world to die in our place, to absorb the wrath of God, to free us from our trespasses, and to allow us to come back into His presence, holy and blameless, that we might praise His glorious grace. When we understand that, we understand the depths, the lengths of God's grace, which is His unconditional, unmerited love towards us. It's so important to understand that's what God's trying to bring about in the world, that is, you might say, God's vision statement. A community of people willfully choosing to be in the presence of God, saved by faith through Jesus Christ, praising His glorious grace, loving one another, and working out their design by their Maker for all time. This is this picture, this vision statement of God reciprocal love God loves us he he already does and then we love him back through our praise of his glorious grace as we talked about two weekends ago if you haven't listened to that sermon um, I encourage you to do so because that is the first thing I wanted to say about this idea and usually the first thing somebody wants to say about an idea is the most important including what Paul has to say. He starts with this stuff because it's so foundational, so important. So go back, listen to that sermon. It's ultimately an expression, the fullest definition we said, of love. Okay? But there's more to understand. We can't just say, oh man, okay, I get it. God's chosen us before the foundation of the earth. That's great. There's all sorts of questions that might pop up into your head. Now let me say this. Not Everybody struggles with what does that mean? Like I might struggle with, what does that mean that God chose? And, and here's some categories of reasons why or just scenarios in which you might not struggle with these ideas of what does that mean that God chose us before we even had a chance to choose Him? What, is, what does that mean? Now, maybe you're, you're not yet a Christian and you're like, why, does it help me to know that? I don't even know yet if I believe any of this. And that's okay. And we're, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're, that you're, uh, you're here. You're considering with us. You're commu- uh, being in community with us. Don't feel like you have to figure this out before you figure out other things, okay? So that's, a, that's okay. But I think there's something you'll glean from this. You, maybe you're very new to the faith. For me, I didn't start thinking about this part of the Christian message, until I was 22 years old, and I became a Christian when I was 12 years old. So for 10 years, never even thought about it. Not that I'd never read this passage or heard the the general idea about uh, God choosing, but I just it just wasn't important to me. And so maybe you're just new to the faith. Maybe and that's okay. That's perfectly okay. You don't have to force yourself to to have anxiety about this issue. That's okay. Maybe you've been a believer for a very long time, a very long time, and yet you still don't care to think about this or struggle with this. That's great, too. Praise be to God. We call that a gift of faith, that you just accept some things uh, as God tells you. That is a great place to be. But maybe you're more like me and you've struggled with these ideas. What does it mean? And I don't want to leave you without uh, any words of encouragement when it comes to wrestling with this idea. Um, So wherever you're at in that spectrum, I want you to know uh, there's something in this for you tonight, but what I don't want it to be is you should be like, I haven't been worrying about this. Maybe I should start. That's not where you need to go uh, tonight. Listen, hopefully you learn something, maybe, maybe it just fills out an understanding of your faith that you already have. Uh, but wherever you come or wherever you go after tonight, I just want you to know that full understanding of these truths is just not possible. Uh, we will always have an incomplete understanding of, of this verse, how God choosing us before the foundation, how that works and what does it mean. Um, Which is to say that understanding these truths is not in any way related to your salvation. It's not in any way related to whether or not God loves you. It is only related, I think, in your ability to understand how much God loves you and how you might love Him back. And for that reason, I think it's important and I'm compelled uh, to speak further on this topic. So that's, that's kind of the caveat. We're going into that with that notion. Um, and it should not divide us, okay? It should definitely not divide us. And, and the problem is, is it has in the history of the church. And it has split individual churches. But please, this is not um, hopefully the case for us. So, look, up, uh, look with me. Let's dig into this at verse 4 and see if we can come to some understanding here of what God is saying. Uh, verse 4 says this. Even as He, that's God, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Okay? Now look at verse 5. Why did He choose us in Him before the foundation of the world? So we want to look for purpose... Uh, clauses, right? So look for anything that says four. Okay? So look at verse 5. It says what? For adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to what? According to the purpose of his will. Okay? Now, look at verse 7. Look for the four. For forgiveness he's chosen us for forgiveness according to what according to the riches, uh, riches of his grace so we have for adoption according to his will for forgiveness according to his grace and then look at verse 11 for inheritance according to what according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel Of His will. Slightly different. So, here we go. uh, Chosen for adoption, for forgiveness, for inheritance, according to His will. We've been chosen for adoption. This is His desire. And what He desires, He plans. Okay? What He desires, He plans. According to His grace, this is His unconditional loving nature and character by that he makes his plan do whatever is possible to make his will or his desire become a reality and ultimately we see this by the work of Jesus Christ in space-time history see the distinction there By His desire He plans, by His grace, His loving nature, He does whatever is possible. You say divinely possible to make it happen, and then according to His counsel, that is His powerful sovereign rule, He rules over creation. He guides that creation at every step to make His desired plan for His heart's grace to come into complete fulfillment. Beautiful, right? See what Paul's doing here? Let me give you an illustration. Let me tell you about my musical pursuits in college. I had a real desire. That is to say, my will was to make great music. My desire, my will was right there. And then I did whatever was humanly possible in conjunction with my character and my nature to make this desire a reality. It was going to be great. And if you heard me sing, let me just tell you this. If you heard me sing, my heart was full. My heart, my grace was full. My heart was full, but guess what? (laughs) There's a great reason that Nolan and Jordan are leading you in worship. It's because, and they keep me out of the band, by the way. I always try to get in. I tell them, I'm great with the tambourine. I'm great with the tambourine. Give me the salt shaker. Dave, just sit down. <laughs> the reason, Throw it over the shoulder, guys. <laughs> Good luck for the whole band, okay? I can do that, right? <laughs> okay. It's that I did not have the powerful counsel to initiate, to actualize, to make my desire, to make the fullness of my heart come in to fulfillment. I was short, but I tried. God's not short in any way. His counsel is powerful enough to make whatever He desires, whatever the fullness of His heart, His grace, can make possible, He makes it possible. This is the great truth of God's sovereignty. Now, the question that some of, some of your minds are popping up, <laughs> some of them aren't, and that's okay, but I'm going to answer it for those of you who are. Well, then how in the world does this happen? How does God choose us before the foundation of the earth? And I told you, as a young man attending UW, It was the first time I began to wrestle with these ideas related to these verses and others that seemed to clearly state that God chose us in some way, which necessarily meant that there were others did He not choose. How could this be? How could this be compatible with an all-loving God? Verses like John 3.16, For whoever so loved. How can he choose and we still have free will to choose him? Can both be true at the same time? Okay? Begin to wrestle with this and as I said, uh, praise God if this doesn't bring you anxiety, but it brought me anxiety. It was a real source of anxiety. And so I began to think through Everything that I'd learned and, and been taught and studied, what could possibly make this true? And the view that I'm going to share with you today is a view that I came up with through my thinking and through what I've heard and um, all sorts of inputs, okay? But this is how I came to understand, and this is how I came to be, in a sense, Freed from my anxiety, under to understand this part of God's plan. Now, the crazy thing is, twelve years later, this is before this. I still I was in school to be an accountant. I ended up becoming an accountant. I never studied uh, systematic theology. I really never studied the Bible in a deep sense of the word. But uh, twelve years later, in seminary, I came across this position. And it's a lesser-known position, but it has many, you know, smart, powerful adherents uh, who have written about it and talked about it uh, much more in-depth than I had ever thought about it. And and as I read more and more, uh, it was nice to hear that other people had thought of this and talked about this. It's a position, you may never heard of it, called Molinism. There's an, uh, an old Jesuit back in the 1600s named Molina who... Uh, was writing at, at the same time as guys like John Calvin and Arminius and all these guys, okay? So, I'm going to share this uh, with you, and, and, and over that time, the, my, my position's been fleshed out, it's been uh, deepened in some ways, in other ways it's been undercut, <laughs> and so uh, what I present to you is not necessarily, I'm, I'm withholding... The opportunity at some point in the future to change my position, which is completely okay to do that, with this doctrine, because there is a divine mystery about it that we will never overcome, and so just know that, okay? I had an old pastor, one of the probably most listened to preachers in America when I lived in Dallas, I went to his church. Uh, He took the first three years of his sermons offline, (laughs) because he changed his position on this issue. So feel free to do the same, okay? Okay, so here we go. Think of it as a helpful analogy, not necessarily uh, cold, hard sort of video evidence. Does that make sense? Think of this as a helpful analogy because we're talking about God, first of all, And we're talking about him before the foundation of the earth, which includes the foundation of time itself, space itself. Think of it as a helpful analogy. So here's my view. I call it choosing a plan, okay? Choosing a plan. Before the foundations of the earth, it was just God, a pure personal spirit, nothing physical, had been yet created that would be created. No time, no space, no sequence. The personal ultimate being existed as God, always as Himself, always will be Himself. Unchanging. And He is one personal being. Self-contained, self-existent, as three personally distinct yet equal persons of this single yet triune God existing in a unified oneness and a timeless fellowship within the God-self and fully adorned in all possible glory. Wow, that's a lot of words. And it was intentionally repetitive and back and forth. You See what I did here? And then I was like this. It's not a contradiction to say God is one and God is three persons. He has always existed as one and as three persons in community. Because we're not talking about the same thing in the same way. We're talking about two things about God simultaneously true. Don't have... All the time in the world to talk about why that's not a logical contradiction. But I'll grab coffee with you. It is true. Take the word contradiction, for the most part, out of your Christian vocabulary. And when people put that on God, it's usually um, because the paradox of God overwhelms. And uh, we don't fully get it, okay? But that's okay. So it's not a logical, but it is a mystery, But it's true, okay? So this is the God, and it's important to start with this definition of God to uh, grasp a few things, at least in part, Uh, because it reminds us that God is related to time and space totally different than we are, okay? Okay? He's related totally different, and so when he speaks to us about things that happened before he created time, we're going to struggle with it. We've never experienced timelessness, okay? So he gives us this glimpse, and why does he do this? He wants us to know something, but we cannot know it fully. And so maybe the simplest way to understand this issue that we're about to talk, what God seems to say two things, that he chose us before the foundation of the earth, and then he seems to say that we choose him. One of the ways to just understand that, and this might be the only thing you get out of the sermon, is this. We're talking about vantage points. God is giving us a glimpse through language given to the Apostle Paul, written for us here in the Greek, translated into the English, a vantage point from his perspective. And he sees time totally different than we do. And then he gives us language that we understand, which is the language of choosing. It's a a very nitty-gritty. It's like you need to choose Jesus. That's from our vantage point. He gives us his, and he gives us ours. Okay? So, uh, I'm trying to explain to people, how does a car go? I'm going to explain that very differently to a 10-year-old. So, this is how a car goes. So you press on the gas pedal, and make sure you're looking where you're going. And it goes. You've got to turn the key first. Now, if I'm explaining this in a graduate-level physics course... I'm going to explain how a car goes very differently. Both are true. This is how a car goes. The two vantage points to understanding how a car goes. So this is what God does for us in Scripture. He gives us two vantage points that we might understand more fully. The world he's created, his motives, his intentions, where he wants us to go, that we might love him, praise the glory, praise his glorious grace. Now, the other thing to note about this definition that I gave you about God is that God, the triune God, was not in need of anything outside of him Himself. That's why I said He had the fullness of possible glory in and of Himself. He did not need to create in order to become something that He wanted to be, but was not yet. That is not why He created. He had He had no incompleteness that needed to be completed. And yet, this ultimate I am, and that's the name that he gives to Moses when Moses asks, what should I tell the people to call you? He says, call them I am that I am. This I am is a personal being. And it's so important to understand that he's personal, it's because he chooses. He chooses not to keep all of his glory in himself, but to share it, to share his innate blessedness talked about that two weeks ago to share that and he did this because his nature and his character propel him to share not because he had to not because we've done anything because he wants to and so in himself he's decided to multiply his glory his blessedness to other personal beings that we might enjoy that glory and blessedness (laughs) this is like big stuff right But for some of us, we need this stuff, okay? I need this stuff. So then how will God do this? How will He bring all of this about, okay? How will He share it? Here's where my view, choosing a plan, comes in. He's got a goal. He is what He is. And now He has to share this, maximize the sharedness, you could say, of His glory for his ends. And so you might imagine God, again, pure spirit, hard to imagine, but we might imagine it, considering what he will do. And before him, in a moment, in a moment, he doesn't sort of work this out over many, many years like we do. In a moment, he has revealed to his infinite mind multiple possible plans. And each plan will either accomplish his desired will or it will not. Now, because God is infinite, because his mind is limited in no way, because his perception is limited not by time or space or anything, these multiple plans are not in the hundreds or thousands or even millions. These are, in fact, infinite. Philosophers, we can talk about that. Infinite, meaning he could not think of any more possible plans. There's not like... Well, what about that one? He's thought of all of them. All of them. Every possible potential universe that God could have created, he knows about. And yet, he manifests just one. To make this a little bit more manageable, let's just say there's a million possible universes that he has to choose from, and now in each one of those million universes, God knows how each and every set of criteria and every type of design will lead itself or flow itself down into every decision, every minute, every circumstance. He has this kind of insight. Again, we cannot go there with him, but he has it, and he knows how each person then might, in each possible scenario, act and answer the question, whom shall I serve, how every real decision each person would make, given that set of circumstance or criteria. And now each of these potential circumstances can be nuanced in either drastic ways or very small ways. Drastic being, God could make a completely automated universe in which no one is making any real decisions. It's just automated, beautiful, but automated. It just goes. Or he could create God-like beings that can create their own universes. See how drastic those differences are? And then he can create anything in between. And of course, there's the option to not create at all. He could do that, but he's propelled not to. And the option that he'll choose, we'll see, is somewhere in the middle there to create a world that combines these types of things. And included in this world, we find beings who are, in fact, created in God's image, who can make real choices, who are governed by, in one sense, automated laws of nature, but in another sense, are not limited by those laws and can transcend them to the higher plane, and we talked about that, into the heavenly places, there's this other realm that exists that God too has created. Whew. So now, <laughs> not only is God's insight into these one million plans overarching, which is to say he makes these really big top-down decisions of like, should I make them robots, or should I make them Greek gods, but the level of his decision-making goes down to the person, and to the decision of the person, which again, blows our minds. But this is what God knows. This is in the moment that he sees every possible way. All of history, every human being that's ever existed, he sees it all in a moment. And so for instance... He knows the difference if a human being were born in different places, in America or in Thailand, or if a person had Christian parents or Muslim parents, or if a person attended a private school or a public school. Uh, The possibilities and the subtleties of each of these things that God can know, it's endless, it's nuanced. And our minds begin to explode. When we think about if we had the most powerful supercomputer and we just let it run with all the data that's humanly possible to gain about every human being and we put it in and what are the scenarios and we let it run for a thousand years, we still wouldn't get even close to understanding what God understands when he decides to create this world and choose this plan. And let me tell you what this plan includes. It includes beings that have the ability and the opportunity to make real choices. And it includes the knowledge that every single one of your created image bearers will rebel against you, turn their own way by choice from relationship with you, and that the only way to restore relationship with some of them will be by the sending of yourself into the world to die in your place and in their place to absorb on the on God the Son the wrath of God the Father and that even those who do turn and choose God once again will only partly follow him in this life and they'll be back and they'll be forth and they'll be back and they'll be forth. And that even though you've sent God the Son into the world to die and to rise again, there will be many who never turn back to their Father. Meaning that many will be eternally separated from God, from His desired relationship with them. So hell is a part of the plan. But doesn't mean that God likes it. But he knows that it has to be a part of the plan. And this is what he chooses. Can you imagine this God knowing that this is the way it will go and choosing this world in which some will turn to love him and some will be eternally lost? How how? How can this be? How can he possibly choose this? So let me give you an illustration that I thought about just to help me understand how that could be. Before I had any children, and I have one child now, if you don't know me, and I've only had him for 18 months. (laughs) I mean, it's unreal how much I love him. In 18 months. Before I had kids, I thought... Is it right for me to bring children into this world? This world is messed up. And in in many respects, it seems to be going in the wrong direction. Is, Is it responsible to bring life into this world? Maybe I shouldn't do it. Ultimately, I decided to have children. Here's why. Because I was convinced that the possibilities of the love of this new life even with the limited knowledge that I had and experience that I had, could outweigh the possible circumstances, suffering, pain that could possibly be put upon my child. There's something, innately I thought, there's something better about creating the than not. So out of love for my unborn child, I... In the fullest knowledge I had as a father to my not yet child, I, I counted the cost, which in the Greek means consider. I counted the cost, and I chose to love and to attempt to conceive a child with my wife, Allie. Now, in 50 years, after Grayson's lived much of his life, and he's going to go through a lot, I know that he'll go through a lot Will I look back, see the pain he's gone through, the suffering perhaps, the love lost, who knows? Now that I have a fuller view of time, will I look back and say, man, what should I have done back then? Should I have created this world and that included hard stuff along with the good? I'm guessing that my answer will be Yes. And the main reason that I think so is because of my own parents' story. And for those of you who don't know, my older sister Kim was killed almost 10 years ago in a bicycling accident at the age of 25. And there was a lot of hardness that came out of that that still comes out of that, particularly as parents. I know that my parents have suffered greatly. I know that there's so much that they wanted her to experience, so much unlived life, she never got to have a family herself. And I've asked my parents, well, would you, are you glad that you had Kim? Or do you wish maybe that you, that you didn't have that hurt? Of course, right? Of course. We're so glad that we had her for 25 years if we'd only had her for five years. Because there's something, Right? There is something that, 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 until we experience it, there's something about personal relationship that just outweighs everything else. No matter how much pain, no matter how much unmet expectation, there's just something about two personal beings in relationship. That magnifies the goodness to an extent that's incalculable. Of course, the pleasure of knowing Kimberly Michelle Evanger has an infinite value that outweighs the finite suffering of all the what-ifs of this life. So that's my experience with these types of questions. If God chose, in a very real sense, pain and suffering that's a part of His plan, a part of His universe, a part of His order, He chose it all, so we can't let Him off the hook for any of it. He doesn't want to be let off the hook for any of it. He's fully in control. It's fully His decision. It's fully His plan. And He chose it. And he'd choose it a million times over because there's something about the relationships that were possible only by this plan, only by this way, only by this freedom, only by this way that ultimately create a good that he sees as far better. Now, let me just extend this because I was sharing this with a friend and he brought up a very good point and I still believe it holds. I'm going to extend the parental analogy here. Now, he said to me, Well, what if you had four kids and you knew that, that all of them would turn away from you at some point in their life and that only two of them would return to love you again? Would you still have kids? And you couldn't just choose to only have the two that returned. I so said, That's a good question. I still think I would choose to have a family. That's me. Hard to get to that place that for for two of my kids there could come a time where they turn away from me and I never talk to them again. I could still choose to have a family. William Lane Craig, who is a proponent of this uh, similar view of God's sovereignty, he concludes an article he's written wrestling with this idea. He says it this way. Listen carefully. As a good and loving God, God wants as many people as possible to be saved and as few people to be lost. His goal then is to achieve an optimal balance between these, to create no more of the lost, and you could add suffering, than is necessary to attain a certain number of the saved, or you might say, the good. But it is possible that the actual world, which includes the future as well as the present as well as the past, has such a balance. It is possible that in order to create this many people who will be saved, God also has to create this many people who will be lost. It is possible that God, if he created a world in which fewer people go to hell, he would have to create a world in which fewer people go to heaven, meaning return to eternal relationship with God. So it is possible that in order to achieve a multitude of saints, God had to accept a multitude of sinners, those who would never return to him. Now remember, guys, this view, like I said at the beginning, is a possible answer to these questions that cause some of us (laughs) anxiety. And for me, this understanding of why God would uh, choose us and how he chose us and how that choosing meant Others, he knowingly meant they would not, that he knew they would not return. This for me helps. God's chosen this plan. It's God's choice, and God chose for love's sake. And this kind of choice, which we're talking about, this is choi- a choice made before the foundation of the earth, and it's a kind of love that he has that's not naive, it's not cold, it's not blind, it's not sentimental. It's true love and it's the kind of love that I've had at least at times access to though not fully in the way God does. So I understand in a sense